Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Hello, good to see everybody. Glad you're here with us today. Thank you for coming to church. Thank you for those that are joining us live stream. Uh, let me give y'all a shout, let me give those people a shout out so you know where everybody's joining from. We have people from Florida, Virginia, North Carolina. Is W Y is that Wyoming or Wyoming? There you go. Idaho, ID Idaho. I don't know. California, Utah, and Washington, DC. Ah, oh, the scariest part of this message is over for me, having to say those abbreviations. Um, well, we're glad you're joining in. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, and thank y'all for coming here today. My name is Michael Singer. Uh, I am on staff here at Freedom House. I am the service pastor at our Lake Norman campus, and I'm also part of our teaching team. And so if you're unfamiliar with what a teaching team is and you're new to Freedom House, uh, we have different physical locations, and we like to have physical people standing on those platforms actually sharing God's Word and teaching, and so I am a part of that team, so you'll get a rotation of different people, and I'm glad to be back at Central because I haven't been at Central in a while, so good to see you. Uh, now, we've been uh, in this series, and we're about to wrap this series up this weekend, and you, you heard the Make Room for More is the next series, so make sure... You come to church next month and you hear about all that, uh, but we're going to wrap this series, Stranger Things Up, uh, today with this message, and I'm glad to be at Central wrapping that up, uh, and hopefully y'all have enjoyed it, but this series is simply about strange stories in the Bible, these stories that sometimes might feel like, why in the world did they have to take it that far, what they were talking about, or why did they do that, and there are some things that are like cultu culturally motivated from back then that we just don't get, and they seem very odd and strange to us, so I thought to get into the story that I'm going to share today, I thought I would share with you a, a strange moment that I had in my life where I saw something that though I have been outdoors and though uh, I am really a country boy at heart, it is something that I'd never seen before and I found to be very strange. And it actually happened just a few months back. Me and some guys were about to walk down to this pond and one of the guys had actually gone down there before the rest of us and we hear him hollering at us, 
Hurry, come see this, come see this, hurry. When we get down to the pond, there's a goose on the pond. And the goose is flapping its wings, trying to lift its body up out of the water, but the goose can't. No matter how hard it tries and struggles, the goose cannot get up out of the water. So we're like, man, what's going on? What happened? Well, he got down there early enough to see the goose a little bit closer to shore, and he noticed attached to this goose's foot was a massive snapping turtle. I know. I, the same thing, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this. We're trying all we can to like get the goose to get to shore somewhere. We're like waving from the bank. Some of the guys are like, maybe, you know, should we jump in? I'm like, I ain't jumping in for no goose. I said, if it was my kids, I'd contemplate it. I might do it. And we're trying all we can. And we think this goose is just getting tireder and tireder. And we're like, man, this goose is going to just like fall over and drown. And then all of a sudden, the goose broke free and flew off. We were so excited. I saw the goose later, uh, a couple of days later, a day later, and its foot was all mangled up. I could just, like, you know how sometimes geese will sit with one foot up? You could just see it all tore up. And I was like, there's got to be that goose from that very wild, ridiculous, strange story that just happened to me in my life. So let's look at a strange story in the Bible. And if you thought that story was strange, I have one even stranger. And we'll stay in this arena of the aquatic animals. And we're going to look at a story today that will involve an animal that also lives in water. And I'm going to read it. It's in Matthew chapter 17. It's verses 24 through 27. It says, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or do they collect it from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Anybody here ever been fishing and found some money in a fish's mouth? Anybody? Okay. If you didn't want to raise your hand and that's happened to you, please see me after service and I want to go fishing with you. But the fact that nobody here raised their hand, and there's probably a good potential other than Peter, no one else has experienced that, that's a miracle. It's a weird, crazy, freaky, kind of just whatever miracle, but it's a miracle. But the thing about this miracle that stands out to me is that it doesn't have the same feeling that a lot of the other miracles in the Bible have. Like, there's a lot of miracles where people get healed, I mean, people that couldn't see, they get their sight. There's a dad who cries out for his child. There's people that get raised from the dead. There's all these things that happen that really pull on my emotions. This one doesn't do that. Except for the emotion of greed, I want to go catch fish with money. But this miracle is very different, but it doesn't mean that there's not something to learn about this story. So there's a question I want us to leave here today with. 
I want you to think about it. Hopefully, it'll pop up in your mind throughout the days, throughout the months, throughout the weeks, throughout the years. Hopefully, this question will come up and cause us to figure out what God wants to teach us. And it's my goal today to let this question be something we ask ourselves that we learn from this story today. The question is, what are we fishing for? What are we fishing for? You see, with this story, I don't want to leave all the catching of fish up to Peter. That's no fun. I think you and I should catch fish also. And Peter, he should not be the only one catching fish with money in his mouth. So we're going to catch some fish today. Yes, you are going on a fishing trip with me. And we're going to catch fish. And I believe when we catch these fish, we're going to find some nuggets to help us in life, some good gold that's going to help mature us, help grow us, teach us something, and allow us to maybe see what God has to say to us about these different fish that we catch. Now, don't worry about this fishing trip. Some of you are like, I don't like fishing because you just sit out there and waste time. This isn't going to be a fishing trip. This is going to be a catching trip. I promise you we're going to catch fish nonstop. Nonstop we're going to catch fish. Don't worry about the, the poles and the bait. I got everything. And also, you're kind of, you're in luck. You have a guy who's fished these waters. Every pond we go to, every body of water we go to, I've been there and I know how to catch fish in these ponds. And I know what fish to catch. So hop in with me. Let's show up. We arrive at this first body of water together. And I'll let you know, the fish that is most likely going to bite your bait in this body of water is the gotcha fish. The gotcha fish. I love in the story here, it starts out and it says that these temple leaders came to collect a tax. Now, this was not a tax for Rome because Rome was in power at that time and the Jewish people were under their reign. There were taxes and some of that you read about in the Bible. But this was a tax that was from the Jewish leaders to the Jewish people. These were Jews going to other Jews to get this tax for the temple. The main reason of this tax was to help take care of the basic function and needs of the temple. But it's very interesting what these leaders do and the question they ask. They go to Peter and they say, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, I love how other translations break out that contraction at the beginning doesn't. Other translations break that out and say, does not your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, here's what we need to know. These guys are not just going up to Peter to just collect a tax because it was time to collect the tax. What they're really trying to do is they're really trying to check Jesus and put him in a moment where they can say, gotcha. You see, you're this guy that's coming to talk about all these new things. You're talking about things that seem weird to me as a Jewish person who's known God in a certain way. You're talking about you might be the Messiah, but I don't really know and trust that, even though we're waiting on the Messiah. You've actually healed somebody on the Sabbath that caused a lot of problems with me and my other leaders in this whole you know, Pharisee and these Jewish leaders. You're even talking about the temple in some ways that I'm like, uh, what's he doing? Who is it? What's this guy all about? You know what? The best way to really show what he's all about and to call him on the table and show how bad he is and how much he really is not of God is to try to catch him in something. Don't we do the same thing? We love to accuse people. We love to set people up and go, you know what? I knew you were a liar. You know what? I knew you were going to leave me just like everybody else has left me. You know what? I knew you were going to hurt me just like everybody else. 
you're just like that person. I knew you were going to be the person that didn't have any honor, honor and integrity. I knew you were going to be somebody that was all about yourself. I see it everywhere. Gotcha. It's that idea of sometimes that we lay bait out for people, and sometimes we've been hurt in an area, and we lay that bait out just so they can let us down so we can be protected under the covering of not getting hurt again, and we can say, gotcha, you're just like everybody else. We almost set ourselves up to experience failure so that we don't have to give ourselves and potentially get pain again. The gotcha fish is huge in marriage. If you're married in here, you got gotcha fish swimming all around your house. It's like your house is just a tank of gotcha fish. We love in marriage to be like, see, you put that toilet paper roll under and not over. You don't even care about me. We all know over is of God anyway. You squeeze the toothpaste from the middle, not the end. You're not concerned about me. You don't love me. I did all the cooking. You weren't even willing to clean up. I've been at work all day, and you haven't done anything here. You know what? We used to go, and you would, like, do things with me and cheer me on. You were my greatest fan. You don't even cheer for me anymore. You know what? You used to take me out and wine and dine me and bring me sweet little gifts and think about me. You don't even do that anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. Look at you. Gotcha. There was a, a married couple that were like, hey, Michael, we, uh, we need to share an incident that just happened with us, and we just kind of need your third-party uh, ear and maybe advice. And so they came to me, and they began to tell me about a disagreement that they had. And uh, the wife, you know, really felt like the husband wasn't being empathetic with what she was really dealing with. Uh, I know none of you have ever been involved with that. Um, and so they, they were at odds. And if you've been married, you know being at odds is going to be something that you have to walk through. And they, they ended up, the husband was downstairs, and the wife was still upstairs, and the wife made her way downstairs to the husband after a little time had passed. And she came up to him and she did something very great. She, she apologized to him for being so rude during the conversation. And then she said, so uh, are we done? Now, she's telling me the story. And she said, Michael, I didn't ask that question because I was really asking, are we done? I was asking that question because I had just apologized to him, and I was giving him an opportunity to apologize back to me. Gotcha. I said, boy, if that ain't a gotcha fish, but don't we all, we do that. If you have kids, I have three. Man, oh, man, I love to play the gotcha game with my kids. Because sometimes as a parent, well, not sometimes, a lot of the times as a parent, we've walked through life and we've seen all the crazy, stupid, not-so-great choices we made, and we want our kids to arrive there way quicker than we did. Sometimes way quicker than they're mature enough to even do on their own. We're like, you got to do this. And when they don't, I got you. And when we see our kids and we're around our kids all the time, it's very easy to see all the things they don't do or not listening to and all that stuff. And we're like, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So my oldest son, his name is Noah. He just waved to me down there. <laughs> I love him. Great young man. Super smart guy. Uh, I wish I had his memory. He loves to um, look up things and likes to have information and stuff. But uh, he also likes to talk a lot. He gets that from Jalay, not me. If you don't know Jalay and I, I just told you a lie. He gets to talking from me. There are things that God has had to work with me on my desire and joy of talking 
filters, when to be quiet, uh, things not to say, when to listen. So sometimes when you're a talker, the whole listening thing can be challenging and hard. And so God has had to work with me over the years. I'm 43 years old. And sometimes I want him to arrive where I'm at when I'm 43 and he's 14. So he had a birthday at the beginning of October and had some friends over. And I'm carrying the friends home, and he's with me. And the friends live, like, <laughs> at two different parts of the world in the Charlotte area. It's, like, going to be a long trip. So I got to hear them talk about video games the whole time. And they're talking and talking a lot. And I do this thing with, with Noah where at different times uh, I'll kind of just do my hand like this and just be like, hey, man, you just probably need to calm down and quiet yourself. And Jalea and I talked to him a lot, just trying to help him learn, like, hey, man, we love that you talk, but make sure you're engaging with your friends. Don't cut them off. Like, ask them questions about them and what they like, not just a question to get back to what you like so you can talk some more. (laughs) So we've worked with him on this. We're riding down the road. We drop one friend off, so we just have one friend left to take home. And the friend begins to tell Noah this story. And so he's talking about something that happened, and and Noah, I guess, latched on to something he said and wanted to share his part of it. So he just chimes in and kind of cuts the guy off. And I'm up at the front because he's in the passenger seat, and I'm like, and he did a good job. He recognized, and he stopped, and he went back and, and took his friend back to where he was in the story and, and let him talk and all that stuff. But we're driving to drop this friend off, and all I can think is, gotcha, when this young man gets in his house and me and Noah are driving back on the road, I'm going to let him know, man, you just cut the dude off. Like, you've got to work on this. You've got to be quiet. I was ready to just do the gotcha fish all day long until the Holy Spirit spoke to me in my voice and God said, hey, instead of calling out what he didn't do right and saying gotcha, you need to encourage him in what he did do well in that moment. And it shifted that conversation But don't we do that? We love to say, gotcha, gotcha, and just call people out for everything. And I love Matthew chapter 7 because it really reveals the reason why we should let go of this gotcha fish. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, we want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on our own. Do we have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when our own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. And I love this phrase, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living our part. Wipe the ugly sneer off of our own face, and then we might... Be fit to offer a washcloth to our neighbor. Some of you that are familiar with this scripture from this message paraphrase, in other versions, other uh, versions of the, the passage, it'll, it says, take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye. It's this whole deal of just calling somebody out to say, gotcha. And that's what the temple leaders were doing. They just simply wanted to catch Jesus and doing something wrong so they could say, gotcha, you're not who you claim to be, and you're definitely not the son of God if you're not even willing to obey these laws and pay this temple tax. 
I feel like we've caught enough fish in this pond. We got a stringer full of gotcha fish. So why don't y'all hop in with me? We're going to travel to another body of water because I know another place where we can catch a totally different fish. And just like the first pond, we are going to catch a ton of these fish. The fish, they're in this water. The bait we're going to use is going to catch mostly the offensive fish. The offensive fish. Offense uh, is something that is, is very important to pay attention to. Offense is something that can derail us in life. It can derail relationships. It can pull us out of churches. It can pull us out of states. It can pull us out of jobs. It can pull us out of friendships way quicker and at an incorrect time that God didn't desire us to come out of those situations. Because we've been hurt and we get offended. It's such a big deal. We give people, when they go through Get On Track, uh, and at different times, we give them a book by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan is offense because offense will derail us. That's the receiving side. So when I've received hurt and pain, I have to make sure that I check if I if I'm have a relationship with God that I don't get offended and get bitter and just run and shut down from everything or get a bad attitude about it. But there's two sides to this offense coin. There's a receiving in what we do with it, but there's a just as important flip side of us not being offensive to people and being attentive to people around us so that we think before we offend. How do I know it's important? Because Jesus said it himself. In this passage, he's talking to Peter, and then he says, but so that we may not cause offense. In other words, Peter, we are not going to be offensive right now, even though they've come with a gotcha and tried to set me up. We're not going to be offensive. About six to eight years ago, our staff was on a retreat. We would do a yearly retreat. Two main purposes of this retreat, to go have fun and just hang out and just talk about life and get to know each other a little better. And then the second main reason was we would look at the calendar. We would do some, some strategic planning and talk about the upcoming year, just look at vision and just, just continue to move forward in that way. There was a young lady on our staff at the time. Her name was Megan Pugh. She was over our events. Now, Megan was the, like, sweetest person. Megan was the type of person that she would tell you something, and I'd walk away, and I'd be like, oh, dang, she just told me off, and I didn't even know it because it was so sweet. She did it so nice. Like, she would correct you, and it was like, you know, a day later, like, oh, wow, Megan was trying to, like, correct me and tell me that the, what I just did wasn't right. So Megan's this sweet, sweet young lady. And Megan would do a lot of prep of the games and things we would do because we'd like to have fun together. And... This one year, we were playing this game. We had different teams, and it can get a little competitive with our staff. I know somebody down here knows about that. <laughs> you get competitive, whether it's outward competitive or inward, it get a little competitive. But we started this game. Megan explained the, the rules, and she had mentioned that some of the games were going to have different. Uh, you get different points, so differing points. Some would have more points than others, and this and that. And I thought, eh, that's odd. Okay. So my team is doing very well. We have won so many games to the point that I don't know what our points are, and I can't remember what points applied to what game, but we had won enough that when it came time to announce the winner, I was like, man, we, we spanked everybody. Nobody had a chance. We're about to get these gift cards. <laughs> Until Megan announced the team. It wasn't us. We didn't win. Now, here's something you need to know about me. 
There's not many things that I allow allow my emotions to get me all riled up about either thoughts or opinions I have about certain things. Not many areas where I'll get super riled up. However, I do get riled up when I'm playing a game and I feel like the rules leading to the prize are not equal and just the same for everyone. It's like somebody taking me bowling and saying, all right, Michael, all y'all are going to compete. You're going to bowl three games. We're going to do an average. Whoever has the highest average is best. Everybody gets a bowling ball, and the person says, all right, Michael, you're going to bowl with a marshmallow. <laughs> I realize that's an extreme example, but this kind of stuff gets me worked up. Now, I'm not one of those people that's like everybody deserves a trophy and everybody should be a winner. I, I, you, there should be some people that lose. But... The rules should be the same for everyone. Like, everybody should have the same chance. We should all have the same playing field that we're on. Well, I didn't feel like this was the case with this game. And I don't remember how, but I know I didn't do a good job of keeping that to myself. (laughs) And Megan knew, some way, shape, or form, she knew that I thought, Megan, some of these games were, like, way harder for everybody and had less points. And, like, we won them. And these other easy games, they won. I was like, this was just so unjust, Megan. This was terrible. But you know what? Even though I could have stepped in a court of law and had something to stand on, (laughs) even though there was some truth there, like there really wasn't an even level playing field of of who was going to get these points, even though I had a little bit of truth, my truth was not the point. Because the point of that whole retreat was for us to hang out and have fun and have a good time. And here I am being all offensive to Megan, the person who did all this planning, and this boy didn't do jack zero. And I'm basically telling her, Megan, I know you spent all this time to plan, but you did a horrible job. Just because you did this wrong. It's that those opportunities we have to stand on what we maybe know is true or definitely feel is true, But God is saying, in order that we may not be offensive, maybe we need to reel it back and see a bigger picture here. Do you know that Jesus had every right to not pay the temple tax? And the reason I know that he had every right to not pay the temple tax was because of the questions he asked Peter. Remember, Peter comes in the house and he says, hey, Peter. Uh, who do the kings get taxes from? Their kids or children, or do they get them from others? And this was almost like a no-brainer. Peter said, they tax other people, not their own children. Now, there's a reason why he's asking Peter this. And you find out the reason if you go back to chapter 16. Chapter 16, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And he asked them, "Who who do people say that I am? And they tell him, And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the one who was always willing to open his mouth, right or wrong, smart or dumb, he was going to open his mouth. He got this one right. He said, you are the son of God. So I think he gets that he's the son of God. Well, if you go to chapter 17 in the beginning, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this mountain. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens on this mountain. One of the cool things that happens outside of Moses and Elijah coming, who are way in the Old Testament and been dead for a long time, outside of that, the other cool thing that happens is says God talks. And God 
with Peter and James and John right there listening. He says, this is my son, talking about Jesus, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him and do what he says. Up another moment, Peter is understanding this is the son of God. He goes on to tell the disciples two more times before we get to this verse that he is the son of man and he's coming to die. All this stuff, Jesus asks those questions because Jesus goes, hey, Peter, you said yourself that I'm the son of God. So who is it that gets taxed? The children or the others? Because, Peter, you know the temple is the house of God. And if I'm the son of God and they're asking for a tax for his house, surely I have enough weight and truth to be exempt from that. But Jesus says, so that we may not. In the midst of this truth, in the midst of what I can do, so that we may not cause offense. I love Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 is talking, and it mentions, it's, it's Paul talking to the Christian church in Rome. And the makeup of this church is Jews and Gentiles. And so there's some problems that have been stirring. There are things like food that they've been talking about, and the Jews are saying, no, you got to have this strict diet. You can't eat all these certain things if you really want to be following God. And the Gentiles are like, wait, man, we like eating everything. Like, I love a pork chop, and I want to eat that. And I feel like that's right too. And so Paul steps in and says, hey, look, I don't care if you are vegetarian or you eat everything. That's not the point. The point is, are you giving thanks to God? Like, is God a part of that aspect of your life? Then he goes on to say, some of y'all think one day is holy and the others of y'all think every day is holy. It's not a matter of the, the day. It's about how are you honoring God in the midst of that. And then we get to Romans 14, verse 12 and 13. It says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. When I read chapter 14 and that verse, I thought to myself, all right, is there anything today? And something really jumped out to me that I feel like we can learn from, like that this scripture, that Paul would have something to say to us. Now, what I'm about to say in the example I'm about to give, I just want you to understand very clearly. I'm going to take a moment and speak to people that have a relationship with God and are believers because this is who Paul is talking to. So the example I thought of was this right here. All of us should know what this is by now. This is a mask. Now, what I'm not here to talk about today and what God did not say anything to me about with this scripture is whether or not it's right or wrong to wear it or not. The point of this, it's not right to wear it. It's not right not to wear it. It's not wrong to wear it. It's not wrong not to wear it. That's not the point of what I'm going to talk about. I'm not here to tell you that one is right and one's not. Because the scripture tells us that that's the problem. That's not the point. But there are a lot of us talking about this and making it bigger and so big that we're beginning to be offensive to other people. So if I walk up to a store and it says, please wear a mask to enter this store, and I just happen to be a person that the mask is hard to breathe. I don't like wearing it. It's bothersome. I get hot when I wear it. And you know what? 
this is a free country, and the government's not going to tell me what to do. If that's my stance, and I walk up to that door, and I read that sign that says, you must have a mask to enter, and I am a believer, and I have a relationship with God, then the question that should go through my head is, in order to not be offensive. You see, it's not about whether the mask is right or wrong, because both sides have enough things they can stand on to make it feel like it's very true. The point for us as believers is, if you want to wear a mask, wear the mask and stand in God on that. If you don't want to wear a mask, then stand in God on that. But we don't need to let everybody know our emotional stance. But what we do need to do is make sure that we're considering other people and we're going in order not to be offensive. Jesus had every right, but he said, in order to not be offensive, I'm going to do this. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I love all of Romans chapter 12 because it paints a very good picture of what it looks like and the foundations of having a relationship with God. Verse 18 says, if, it's a condition, if it is possible, as far as it depends on me and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, I believe the reason Jesus made that statement said, in order to not be offensive, I believe Jesus saw a picture that was way bigger than that moment because he knew that these Jewish leaders already didn't believe who he was. And if he gave them any more fuel to their fire, if he didn't pay that tax and put in their head, this guy really ain't it, then when he came to die for them and he was dead and raised from the dead, that it would uh, limit, limit the chance for them to look past all those things and actually believe who he was. You see, if they had another notch in their belt of the thing that he didn't do, then they would have never seen what he came to do and what he did do for them. It's midday. We've caught a lot of fish. And you usually don't go fishing midday because the fish aren't biting that well. But I, don't worry. Remember, I'm your guide. There's a pond we can go to. We're going to catch fish. Now, I just want to warn you before you even throw your bait in the water, and you better be ready. This is probably the most aggressive fish out there. This, is, this fish is so aggressive, it'll bite during the middle of the day. The fish we're going to catch right now is the self fish. Sounds like another word, don't it? Self fish. In this text... It's not super easy to see where the selfish part is, other than if you look at the, the temple leaders trying to catch Jesus, you know, in a trap. I mean, that's a little selfish. But there's actually something with Peter that I think happens that's not, not super obvious. But Peter was asked, remember, hey, does your, does your leader, does Jesus, this guy you're following, does he pay the temple tax? And Peter said, yeah, he does. But I, I don't think, Peter was really confident in that answer. And the reason why, I think he was just covering for his leader and just going, all right, I'm on good faith. I'm going to go, yes, I hope Jesus don't make me out to be a liar. And the reason why I say that I don't think he was that confident is because when you read the, the scripture, when he enters the house, there's a very interesting phrase there. It says, Jesus spoke first. Well, why didn't it just say, Jesus said, or Jesus made mention to Peter, or Jesus asked Peter, no, it said Jesus spoke first, meaning that Jesus knew Peter was about to come in, 
in his self nature and about to speak out of what he experienced and maybe say, hey, man, you got me out here looking crazy. Uh, are you paying your tax? Because I just told them that you pay your I mean, you got me out here. Am I a liar or not? But he knew that he needed to cut Peter off from operating out of himself so that he could teach him something that was going to sustain him and build something deep-rooted in Peter to look beyond himself and actually see the big picture of what God was doing. Now, in order to understand this and this moment that I believe this whole story, and this story, it feels very odd. It feels like it was dropped out of nowhere. I feel like the reason why this story is there is because Jesus was trying to take a moment for Peter's sake to teach him something because Jesus knew he was about to die. And in order to really understand what's going on, we need to go back and learn a little more about this temple tax. So way back in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11, 16, and I'm not going to read it, but God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to count all the children of Israel, count them all. And when you count them, they are to pay a tax for back then, it was the tabernacle. Still was God's house and where his presence was. They're going to pay this tax. And every one of them is going to pay it as a ransom for their life. Meaning that they're going to pay this to protect their life. Because if they pay it, then all these plagues and stuff I did on Egypt, I won't do to them. So it's them giving up something in order for their life to be safe and secure and to be protected. Every male over 20 years old had to pay this temple tax. Now, as you read that story, God refers to that money as a specific thing. He refers to that money as the atonement money. Let me just give you a simple definition uh, of what atonement is. Atonement is basically paying a price in order to reconcile two things back together. In this case, relationship paying a price in order to reconcile their relationship with God so that they did not experience any of the things. It was a one-time tax then, but when you read in the Bible, later on when you get further along, years later, when you get past this guy named Nehemiah, it became a yearly thing they started doing. That's why we see Jesus being confronted about the temple tax. Now, I believe that Jesus was trying to get Peter to really understand something. Because Peter was starting to understand that he was the son of God. But he needed Peter to really understand this change that was about to happen. And it was a change that was going to change the way that people access God and have a relationship with him. Because Peter and all the other Jews to this point, their sonship and their daughtership, so them being children of God, was mainly because they were Jewish. Jewish just because of how, what they were born into, being Jewish. So it was a corporate sonship and daughtership. And what Jesus was about to move things from, he was about to move them from a corporate to an individual son and daughter. From a relationship as a people to an individual relationship. No more just because you're a Jew do you have a relationship with God. No more just because you're American do we have a relationship with God. No more just because we show up to church do we have a relationship with God? No more just because we do good and think that we're doing good and we're being nice to people. No more. None of these things are the things that will now put us in relationship with God. I find it very interesting that Jesus asked Peter 
to go fish because that's what Peter knew how to do. That's what Peter was good at. On his own, by himself, Peter knew how to fish. But I think Jesus was trying to get him to understand, Peter, even the things that you know yourself, even the things you are good at yourself, they're only so good and you'll miss out on the miracle unless I am involved. The only reason you caught that money in the mouth of the fish was because I was involved. You were doing something you knew, but I made it more because I was involved. And remember, that money was a four drachma coin. It was two drachma per person. And Jesus ended and said, this is to pay for both you and me. You see, what he was telling Peter in that moment is that Peter, no more in my kingdom, no more in the way God has it, do you have to pay a tax. No more do you have to make payment because I'm going about to die and I'm going to make payment for you and for me. If you will, stand to your feet. And as you stand, I would ask you to just close your eyes and just listen to yourself for a little bit. Just get inside your own head and in your own heart. This whole moment with Peter was not just for Peter. It was setting something up for you and I to experience. You remember the temple tax was the atonement money? It was that price given to reconcile people in a right relationship with God? Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross... It says he did that as an atonement for our sin, meaning that he paid a price so that we wouldn't have to pay that price. And all we have to do is pull the fish out and pull the money out and accept that in order to experience that relationship. If you're here today, I don't know what your life is like, and I haven't had to walk through your shoes, but I do know this. God loved us enough to send his son to die for us, to pay a price we couldn't pay pay to get us back in relationship with him. But we have to choose to be the one to grab that out of the hand of God. He offers it, but we have to be willing to take it. Today, if you don't have that relationship and you want to begin that, all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for you, accept that, and believe you raised from the dead. So right now, if you haven't done that and you want to do it, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are and you can put it back down once you've raised it. But just lift it and say, God, I hear you talking and I receive that gift today, that free gift for you. You can just raise it up and put it down. All right, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. If you have a relationship with God and you're here, join in real loud so everybody can hear you. If you're watching online and maybe you hit that button to make a decision, Uh, I just ask you to join in right where you are. Just say it loud. Repeat this after me. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. You sent your son. He paid a price that I couldn't afford. He died and was raised from the dead. I choose to believe and trust that for my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give God a hand for those people. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we wanna hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.